0: Hey, welcome to Five Things. I'm Tracy Burns. I'm a financial advisor with UBS, and you are gonna learn five really important things, then you're gonna move on and get on with your life because we all have things to do. I, of course, as uh, many know, I'm on a mission to help women through divorce, transition, empower them. I have a super soft spot for female founders and entrepreneurs and small businesses. And of course, closing the wage gap. I have three teenagers, two of them are girls, so I have a personal interest here. This podcast is a very small piece of helping us get there. So, for some context, we are in the heat of the coronavirus. Still, we are. Um, I am in New Jersey. I am still on lockdown. I think my governor just extended it, which I won't cry on air. Um, I want you to listen to our first three podcasts because they are everything your small business should be doing right now. Thinking about the team you should be creating, some of the things you could do to set yourself up for when we get out of this, all things that business leaders need to be thinking about, but as leaders, one of the most important things is to be worrying about the next generation. As a leader, as a mother, um, just as as a member of society, what is happening to this next generation of kids? And that is why more than ever, I am thrilled that my dear friend, Alexis Glick is with us, CEO of Gen Youth, which is a nonprofit dedicated to kids, which she'll tell you about. She advises CEOs, companies, athletes, And she too has a slew of children at home (laughs) and and has a soft spot for them. I tell you, my kids, first of all, Alexis, I'm thrilled you're here, but my kids like laugh at me and they call me a marshmallow because I could break into tears at a drop of a dime lately. (laughs) I just feel like I, I worry about them and I worry about what happens next for them.
1: Oh, you know, I, I, first of all, I'm so happy to be with you. I'm so crazy about you and what you're doing. You're just such an amazing human being and such a smart woman. I just, Oh, I'm, I can't say enough things, but look, I, you know, I look, I'm like you. Uh, the only thing is I would say is I love that you said you're a marshmallow. I'm like, um, I'm like a torpedo. <laughs> I like zoom in and I zoom out, you know? And like when I zoom in too far and I hear too much, I'm like, I'm out of here. Uh, but uh, no, look, it, it, this is a really interesting time for um, a generation of kids. And and as you know, part of what I do every day is support 40 million kids in US public schools. And as a mother of four kids who range from seven to 18, um, you know, just living it day to day, in addition to kids uh, Seeing what kids are going through, whether it's food insecurity, whether it's mental health issues, um, whether it's just isolationism or the fear of the unknown, it were certainly an un, an unprecedented time. I think the thing I would tell you in the conversations that I have, both with my kids and that I've had with the kids that we work with in school buildings across the United States, you know, look, we can look at the circumstances and we can talk about. Um, all the things that don't make sense or all the reasons we don't have answers or all the frustrations we have about digital learning or you know who doesn't have access to broadband or the technology, the gap. Um, I, I shared a note with my board of directors saying, I think we're going to have the largest economic chasm and American divide that we've seen in our history uh, coming out of this because of the number of people who are going to be living on, uh, on a safety net provided by the government. But what I will tell you is, what I've also said to them is, uh, what are the things that you're learning from this experience? How do you take those learnings away? How can you differentiate who you are, what you stand for, how you're learning, Uh, develop new skills at a time when you do have, you know, not as tight a mandated schedule where you can find a window to spend an extra hour on a piano. Or you can volunteer for, um, you know, working for a company that you really want to work for or an individual or a celebrity or an athlete that you want to get to know. Now people have time and they're willing to listen. And so it's an opportunity to figure out what do I really think I want to do when I grow up? And, you know, is now the moment to start to explore new skills, new passions and, and see what takes. So, and
0: it's so interesting that you and I are sitting here talking because you and I have had, you know, the, the I, I say my career path has been like the Grand Tetons. Like it's just, it's like all over God's kingdom. And, and for, by way of background, everyone should know that Alexis and I met a thousand years ago when Fox Business launched, because you were vice president of business news back then. You had this fabulous show, Money for Breakfast. We were, um, we were in the building together And here we are in you know, somewhat entirely different world. So, real quick, tell us what Gen Youth does, because it is so super cool. People should know this organization.
1: Yeah. So essentially, when I when I left Fox after being there for four or five years, uh, I was actually you know headed to another network, and in the middle of it, some folks said, Alexis, you know, you've got this background in Wall Street, you've got background in media, but you don't have a lot of background in public policy. Would you consider getting on some boards of directors, both public and um, and you know private or you know boards? And I said, Yeah, sure. And one of them was a, a group of folks who were going to put together a not-for-profit, with a partnership between the National Football League and America's Dairy Farmers. And the idea was simple. Um, How do we create an environment to support healthy, high-achieving youth? Fast forward, it's now been a decade. They had asked me to consider joining a board. When I went in to talk with them about the kinds of things that I thought were important to this next generation, uh, I came out of the room and they said, you know what, instead of being on the board, would you be the CEO and run it? Today, what we have is um, Gen Youth. essentially, our main mission is we're focused on creating healthier school communities. We do that by operating the largest in-school health and wellness program in the United States, in which we support 40 million kids a day and 75,000 of our nation's schools. We do that by getting resources into school buildings to help them increase the access and availability of school meals for food insecure youth. We do that By helping give them the resources and equipment to make sure the kids get active for up to 60 minutes a day. You know, in this country, only 4% of elementary school kids, 8% of middle school kids, and 3% of high school age kids have any form of daily physical activity. I mean, we're a sedentary country. So all of our energy and focus is largely around what do we do to make sure the kids are set up for success and can be healthy, high achieving youth. And for us, ground zero is the school building.
0: And so that leads us to you know the first of your five points is that these kids aren't in school there are, so many of them are missing like major meals here and they're not getting I mean you and I both know right you, nutrition feeds the brain and if you don't feed
1: the brain you, you you can't function Exactly here's the biggest misnomer a lot of people across the country think 124,000 US school buildings are closed no No. 98,000 of those 124,000 U.S. public schools um, remain open to feed our nation's youth. 50.8 million kids go to U.S. public schools. 30 million kids a day prior to the pandemic rely on school meals daily. So nine out of 10 U.S. public schools Remain open to feed hungry kids, and in particular, given the record level of jobless claims that we've seen over the last seven weeks, it's not just 30 million; it's millions more. So the thing that folks don't realize is is that school buildings in this country are ground zero for feeding kids. And while the federal government continues to support meal programs going into the school building, the issue is that the food is being delivered to the cafeteria. Now we got to take the food out of the cafeteria into a grab-and-go model in a non-congregating way, is the food that's delivered into the cafeteria has to be taken out into a grab-and-go model into either uh, school parking lots, school bus stops, or delivered via school buses. So what school buildings really need is the equipment, the cooler bags, the grab-and-go containers, the safety equipment to deliver those meals. So for someone like us, who has been a partner to school buildings and has provided over $100 million in resources since our inception. For us right now, what we're focused on is we opened up a COVID-19 emergency school nutrition fund where we're allowing school buildings to apply for us to up to $3,000 to get those resources and equipment that allow those school nutrition professionals, volunteers, and school bus drivers to deliver those meals in a non-congregating way with the equipment and resources that they can then purchase through our grants.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And people
1: could donate and help, correct? Exactly. So where we are today, Tracy, is we have received grant requests from over 11,000 US public schools. So we have well over 30 million in requests that have come into us in about four weeks time. We expect that to double and triple in the months ahead. So two things that folks can do. Number one, they can go to our website, which is genyouthnow.org. It's literally like it sounds, G-E-N-Y-O-U-T-H-N-O-W.org. So one is to go to our website. The second thing is um, with our partners at AT AT&T, we created a text to donate where people can literally put in the number 20222 and then type in schools and it'll prompt you for a $15 one-time donation. But the bottom line is this, Tracy. We've given out just north of $5 million to school buildings. We're sitting here with a $25 million deficit that is growing daily And the need for this equipment is enormous because school buildings will remain open in the summer. They'll convert to summer feeding sites. And CDC has already reached out to us to say, they are recommending when school returns in the fall, that meals be served in the classroom, not in the cafeteria. So they're gonna need this equipment to change the delivery mechanism of meals from the cafeteria to the classroom, so these are the kinds of issues that we need to help address in school buildings because they are ground zero for feeding our nation's kids.
0: The good news, though, is that they are talking about our kids going back to school in the fall. That's that's good news. I get the social distancing part that they need to eat in their classrooms and the importance of it. And I'll be sure to include the the website and the um, number they could text in the in my little description so people have it. But what does this do? You know, flash forward a little bit. Like, sure. You and I were talking offline about the future, what this does to our kids. I worry that, you know, so many of them have missed, you know, God bless all the parents homeschooling out there. It is not easy. So I worry what this is doing to the education of our kids. And then therefore, the future of the economy going forward.
1: It's, you know, it is a true, it's a real, it's a real issue. Let me, let me just tell you a couple things, just both, you know, we're both economic nuts, right? Um, Number one, (laughs) um, when you see a collapse in a market or a black swan event or a health related event, um, as you know, when the event occurs, you see some degree of dislocation. But you truly don't start to see the impact of that dislocation for another three to six months after that event occurs, particularly when there's a health event, because what we're still working through is who will need the safety net and when does the safety net run out? So we have a situation in which, for example, I was on a call yesterday in Tampa Bay where they've seen a 400% increase in the availability of foods in local food banks. Um, in our school buildings, the average school is serving 1,561 meals a day. That is one school building. And that's assuming that it's about 600 kids, some school buildings have 2,000 kids, and they're not turning away families either. So in some cases they're serving thousands and thousands of meals in a given day. So what I would say to you for the future and for kids is number one, folks need to understand that the burden on school buildings for feeding and learning end on our educators to bring kids back up to speed when kids do return to exactly. school building, is the pressure is number one, going to be hard, higher and harder than ever. Number two, their budgets are going to get slashed. They're going to have less resources right. than they have ever had, than we have ever witnessed in the history of school buildings. So they're going to have less resources, more pressure. And then number three, Because of the digital divide, you have so many kids who have just inherently fallen behind. So what do I think it means? I think we are going to spend the next school year in catch-up mode. It's going to change things like standardized tests. Um, It's probably going to change things like how we um, administer things like APs and others. Uh, Because we're going to spend probably one full semester making sure that what occurred in the last school year was um, actually digested, learned. And so, look, will we make it up? I think we will make it up. Will we rethink how we educate kids? Yes. Will digital learning become a more and more valuable tool? A hundred percent. Will we look at how we educate and pay Um, folks in the education space, we will. I mean, people now realize, wow, our teachers need to get paid in a fair and equitable way. The problem is this is going to take years to work its way through the system.
0: That's the problem. There's a commercial out now, actually, which makes me laugh. It's all these parents trying to homeschool their kids. And I said this to you earlier. I parents that are homeschooling middle school, elementary school kids, you are doing the work of Job. I have teenagers, they do their own thing. I am grateful every day of my life. I have um, have heard crazy stories about parents having to do even PE with their kids and, and music and art. And God bless all of you. Paying our teachers should more should be top of the list, but the educational divide was there to be, to start before the pandemic and so the widening of it is so frightening. I think for the economy and people really should wake up to this. Um, you wrote something recently about fully sheltering in place. The country should have done it. Would this have helped?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I I don't I hate to be one of those people in retrospect, but I did write a piece called "America, Wake Up." I wrote it probably two weeks to the beginning of shelter in place. And it was a call to action, mm-hmm. basically asking the U.S. government to consider an extended national holiday. Um, my fear was that if we dribbled out one by one the decision to shut down areas of the economy, that we would exacerbate the recovery. What I was truly hoping for is a V-shaped economy. What I fear is, you know, some people are talking about W's, some people are talking about U's. It's making me crazy because what I fear is we could have this, um, you know, I don't know, I don't want to say an L, um, but I, I think we're going to have a prolonged and exacerbated painful recovery because the process now of reopening on a state-by-state or city-by-city basis based on what their models are telling them is going to be really difficult for us to reignite consumer demand. And so what I think, unfortunately, Tracy, is we're going to be in an environment in which the next 18 months are going to be much more unstable than we recognize. I mean, I look at the stock market and I go, are we for real? Like, I, I honestly, I talk to CEOs every single day. Tracy, I spoke to four CEOs yesterday. One of the CEOs operates a massive chain across the United States, of which 60% of their stores are closed. They don't know. Come Memorial Day, fifty percent of them will be open or closed. They don't know. Come September one, I said, do you have any projections? They said, well, we're just factoring in worst case scenarios. Um, then I then you have factors now where the safety nets from the government of the you know wages that folks are getting, uh, you know, or the checks that folks are getting, uh, or the extension of unemployment claims by another thirteen weeks. Well, what they're getting from the federal and the state level may in fact be a better living wage than what they had when they were working in retail or for QSR. So they're not they're not incentivized to get back to work. Now many states are saying if you're doing that, we're going to call call you out, but you know the system is overwrought. So what I don't think folks understand is that in the underbelly of the economy, we number one, we don't have the incentive to get back to work, because many of those programs are in place through the end of 2020. And number two, we're so worried about a second wave and don't have the testing capacity. So I think what we're going to see is a staggered return to work. You already have Amazon, Microsoft, many folks saying you don't have to return back to work until October, maybe later. So I think 2020 is done. I think put 2020 aside, this is now we should be talking right now about what 21 looks like. But what I worry most about is small businesses who provide 50% of the private labor forces job. Yes, we have put a one size fits all tag to this entire economy and shut down everything. But we haven't thought about how do we get them back to work? And PPP isn't the answer. Um, it's, and, it's, it's, and that, but, but that leads us right into your fourth point about
0: the fragility of our nation's economy, because we are hanging on a thread right now. And I am 100% with you that small business is the engine of this economy. And so we cannot leave them behind. So between the small business and the kids, I feel like this is, this is, these are the more important things we should be focusing on.
1: I couldn't agree more. I think those are the two areas I would put all my energy and attention on. And listen, I'm going to tell you, Tracy, you know, I don't care what side of the aisle you are on politics. I'm not in the business of politics. What I'm in the business of is how do we fix things as quickly as possible to get the people who need the resources in an immediate and urgent way. And I'll tell you, I look at, you know, what Mnuchin has done. I look at what the Fed has done and I actually applaud them. They have stepped in, in completely unprecedented environment. No one has yes. a playbook for what we have experienced. So I am not one of those people who's saying, well, you could have, you should have, you would have, or this, you know. Agreed. I think they yep. are doing a bang up job. However, however, the problem is that the way a corporation gets back to work with revolvers available to them with, you know, 500 million revolvers, um, and uh, a, a balance sheet in the capital markets that can continue to support them through commercial loans versus the small business owner who's vying for these PPP um, loans when you know either they still haven't received the check or they've already had to furlough or lay off their workers. Well, yeah, now you can try to go back to your workers to get them, but do you have any forthcoming business to guarantee that you can keep them? And the answer is, I don't think so. And here's the issue right now. Some folks have said, which I think is a really reasonable point, maybe you don't want to fully pay them what you were paying them before. Maybe everybody agrees we're going to take a 30% cut, like you've seen a lot of executive suites within companies, so that we can keep more folks employed at a lower base rate level of employment or or a l- lower b- paycheck to get more people back to work. But to me right now, what I worry about is how do we stimulate small businesses? How do you stimulate restaurants being back in action when we're not sure that people can be in a restaurant together or that they have to be six feet apart? So instead of serving 100 people in a restaurant, maybe you've got to serve 40 or 50 people in a restaurant and change the makeup and seating. Those are the kinds of things we should be in the weeds on to say, How do we operate this in an effective way? And how do we make sure that those guys are the people we pay the most attention to right now to ensure that the livelihood of small businesses does not get crushed under the weight of this? What I don't want to see is small businesses who have been around for a decade or 15 years or generational businesses go out of business completely because we didn't show them the pathway to getting back to work. Because I feel like all we're talking about, and this leads us such so beautifully
0: into your final point about showing kindness right now, because kindness could be and should be supporting local small businesses. And we try very hard in my house, even though we, you and I were talking about this earlier, I, you know, I, I fill the refrigerator and yet someone's like, can we order out? And I want to, my head spins off it, my shoulders. Um, but I, I want to support, I think people should support But I feel like all we talk about and all the world is hinging on is a therapeutic or a vaccine. And we can't, it's like sitting home waiting for, you know, the boy to call in high school. And he he might not call. (laughs) And and what if he, you know, what what if he doesn't call till next week? Like, what are you gonna do with yourself? So, So hinging everything on a therapeutic and a vaccine might not be the right answer. Maybe there needs to be plan B to your point. How do we get these businesses back if we don't have a therapeutic or a vaccine, how do we do this? How do we show kindness to our small businesses?
1: Yeah, no, and and I think spot on. So basically, you know, in my way, to my way of thinking, at this stage in the game, I think what we need to do is is threefold. Um, number one, I think when we look at the small business community, every one of us who lives in you know in in our in whatever community we live in in this country, identify. What are the small businesses that are in your zip code that you rely on or that you know need help? So for our with our kids, for example, what we do is in the morning, I could make scrambled eggs or I could make toast, but the local diner is only staying open in the morning and at lunchtime. And so what I do is I say, let's go, let's order out from the local diner. Now, granted, that's a luxury that we can do, but What we're doing is, okay, let's leave an extra cash tip so that the two people that they have making that food, we can support those two people to the best of our ability. So number one, geo-target in your community. What are the small businesses and how can you support those in the local community who you know are either working from home or have a base of operations where they're open for X amount of hours? Number two, what are these small acts of kindness that you can do? Sometimes it's not you don't have the dollars, but you have a connection. Whether it's through Zoom, through a contact, through a partner, where you know if this person's a writer or this person's in the um, uh, you know an advertiser, can you connect them to someone else that you know who's looking with someone with advertising expertise? Because while their advertising business is failing, they can be a contract worker for someone else who's trying to address advertising related to COVID. Um, So number two, what are the things within your own network that you can help with your network, help that small business or that friend of yours who is looking for something right now? And then I just would say number three, how do we, um, big boys, stimulate little ones? So I love the, you know, the commitment by the facebooks. I love the commitment by, you know, some of the other, you know, uh, large banks to say small business, small business, small business. Uh, you're seeing Goldman Sachs do it with small small businesses and with small businesses run by women. You're seeing Sarah Blakely do it um, from Spanx. You know, how do we mobilize leaders who have done it, who are more established to go in and not just give money, but to actually help groom these small businesses out of the depths of this recession into here's the blueprint to win. Uh, it's yeah. a part of its strategic advisory, part of its money, but part of it's the big folks really taking the little folks by the hand and saying, we're going to help you figure this out.
0: And I tell you what, people don't forget. Like I do think, you know, and it's and it's fodder for another day. But this whole movement of social impact investing, investing in companies that want to do good, sure they want to make a profit, but they want to help, you know, Mother Earth at the same time and its inhabitants. I do think people remember the companies that went out of their way to help, and you you get that back in, you know, tenfold down the line. Uh, And I love that you said small acts of kindness don't have to cost money. Even I think posting a, a great review on Yelp if or something, if you you know, you had a great meal and you don't have the money, but like help the business that way and say they were great and explain why. And that that it could be huge for a small business who's doing delivery right now. So think out of the box. And try really hard just to extend your heart right now.
1: Yeah. And Tracy, just quickly before we go, I think the final thing I would just say to you is um, one of the things that I advise when I work with companies and and CEOs and and even athletes, um, oftentimes I call it their fan to brand strategy. But one of the number one things that I focus with these guys on is purpose. And what I say to them is you can't just stand for something you have to do something. And this Amen. generation whether it's millennials or gen z's they're going to affiliate themselves with with you know companies whether they're small or large who are actually going out and leading with purpose. And then it's the same thing for individuals. The more acts of kindness, don't do it for accolades, do it because you're going to create impact. I mean, I have stories of kids that I mentored 5 years ago. One kid who we work with, actually we were we mentored and brought him to the Berkshire Hathaway meeting with one Warren Buffett. He and his family gave us a check for $5,000 the other day to support our fund. I have another student who has participated in our programs. She sent me a note the other day, and she said, Alexis, um, you know, I'm in this distance learning. Can I do the social media work for you from a kid's voice? Would you be willing to let me help you write grants from a kid's voice? And I thought, you know what? Yes, so you know there are ways in which if we lead with purpose, I believe karma in the world leads to great things. And the more of us who are purpose driven and lift up those around us with these small acts of kindness, the dividends, the 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 impact on the economy, the humanity that comes out of it will lift us up and take us out faster if we do it together, as opposed to sort of laying back and saying, "Okay, well he's got." got this. She's got this. No, let's do it together. Lift up, figure out ways, lead with purpose. Don't just stand for something. Go do it. Don't tell everybody that you care about food insecure kids. Then actually tell me how you're going to help food insecure kids. I'd like my fist pumped over my head.
0: Uh, yes, I'm so excited. Uh, th- you, we could talk all day and I think people would listen because you, people could see, like they could feel the glow in your eyes and this the spark in your smile as you speak. You are so impassioned. This is why I'm so thrilled to connect. Thank you so much for taking the time. We have to do this again because if nothing else, you've empowered people to get off up the, off their butt and do something. And and again, do not forget our kids. Do not forget the next generation. I will put the links up, uh, out so everyone can donate something, even if it's your time. Alexis, I cannot thank you enough.
1: Thank you so much. You are an angel. I'm crazy about you. Take care of those three kids. And thank you so much for spending time with me today. I, I, I love you to death.
0: is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions.
1: Neither UBS Financial
0: Services Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. In providing wealth management services to clients, we offer both investment advisory and brokerage services, which are separate and distinct and differ in material ways. For information, including the different laws and contracts that govern, visit UBS.com forward slash working with us. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG member FINRA SIPC.